Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. Doug Bunn picked Boston College, now afraid to show his face, even in an audio-only format. But Evan Watkins, Matei Sis, join me today. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I think it's very suspicious. I think it's very suspicious that Doug's not here. In fact, he's out for the whole week. I mean, he, he put out the, the the preview, which is great. I mean, he did a great job on the NC State preview, but I think he's gone to ground. He he called for a loss. He went the anti-Colby Crawford, and it, we ended up having a Colby Crawford situation. We all thought it was close. Tech blows him out. I don't know what happened. I think it's suspicious, though. Suspicious. I will say one thing I love about the site is that Colby gets the applause for picking tech no matter what. If he's wrong, no one says anything. If he's right, we're all idiots. That's kind of the beauty <laughs> of what's going on here. Uh, but yeah, uh, Doug Bowman, gone for the week under suspicious circumstances. But plenty to cover, lots and lots to talk about, starting with the aforementioned game up in Chestnut Hill, the Hokies. Take care of business. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, the interception to start the game was nice. But when Castellanos and Boston College kind of meticulously made their way down the field on their first sustained drive of the game, I thought Tech might be in for a long day. Maybe not necessarily a loss, but a stomachache. And that turned out to absolutely not be the case. The game was over by halftime. Statistically, Kyron Drone's best performance of the year and uh, a lot to smile about for Virginia Tech fans. Gentlemen, where does this put us? Were we surprised? What do we like about it? You know, last week, we didn't have many positives to take away. This week, it's kind of hard to find the negatives. Yeah, I thought this was probably the best game that Virginia Tech has played all year. I think it's funny that you mentioned to start the game. It's like Virginia Tech gets into the red zone off that uh, Dorian Strong interception on the first play from scrimmage. They have a chance to put up seven, which they rarely have done this year. They've rarely scored touchdowns in the first quarter. Rarely scored in the first quarter. They settle for a field goal. It looks like Boston College's ground game is going to take over. It's kind of the themes we've seen from Virginia Tech, like their run defense bends and breaks they're unable to start hot and then you know after that touchdown the response from virginia tech i mean they're essentially scoring touchdowns on nearly all of their red zone possessions for the remainder of the game they're you know the offense is operating to full efficiency the run game produced over 350 yards kyron drones was extremely efficient as a passer the defense pretty much shut down this Boston College run game. I mean, you can look at the garbage time stats, but I think there was a point where it was like 22 carries for 80 yards from this Boston College offense. So legitimately everything went right for Virginia Tech. Kyron Drones, ACC Player of the Week. They they were able to stop Thomas Castellanos and make him look like one of the worst quarterbacks in the week. Um, obviously he came into this game banged up, but you know he didn't have the impact on the ground that, could be scary for this Virginia Tech defense. And 
just all around, you look at some of the guys on this team, Bashal Tootin, three touchdown performance, Daquan Felton over a hundred yards, Jalen Lane doing a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, shout out to Evans guy, Steven Gosnell for his first career touchdown. And then defensively, you know, although there, I think the Hokies finished with zero sacks, which is very surprising. Uh, I know APR was close on one of those plays where Costi, Costianos kind of like threw it away before his knee touched the ground. But overall, I mean, this was the most dominant, total, complete performance by Virginia Tech all season. And I mean, they com- we all thought this was going to be a three-point game. I think that's all three of us had predictions somewhere between like three and four points. And I mean, Virginia Tech just, they, they came out swinging after that first possession. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I went back and watched some of it about, because uh, I was curious about APR and not getting to the quarterback. With figured with a guy like like Boston College quarterback, he's super slippery, super elusive. It's hard to really get to him and get him on the ground. But I think we saw a shift uh, early in the game where uh, Virginia Tech's defensive ends were trying to get too much pressure to the quarterback. They were over-pursuing. They were opening running lanes, and bad things were happening. So I think part of that was by design, and they uh, it looked like they started to back off some of the pressure and just tried to set the edge a little bit more than trying to get up there and get to the quarterback. So, you know, I, I think that it was a little surprising he didn't get any uh, sacks in the game, but at the other side of, side of the court, I think it was more of a, a, a byproduct of what they were trying to do to, to keep the quarterback in the pocket. So, you know, it was it was pretty dominant on on all sides. I thought, you know, I said I said last week Virginia Tech would win, um, and I thought it would be either close or a blowout. I figured there was no in between there. Um, I thought it would be close. That was what my official prediction was. But you know, it was it was good to see them get out there, be, um, you know, play complimentary football, be on schedule on the offense, and really, you know, they. Other than that first drive from Boston College when they made it seven to three, there was never really a, a chance that Boston College was going to be in that game. So, you know, it was it was good for them to get that momentum and and see how it rides into this week. Taking a look at drones, you know, how how close is that to the ceiling? At least for what we're looking at going down the stretch this season, like. Maybe you saw the floor against Louisville, but performances like that, performances like we saw against Wake Forest and Syracuse, who, you know, obviously aren't tremendous overall teams, but none of those games we went in saying, oh, well, you know, the defense is hapless. And Drones and Virginia Tech's offenses as a whole were able to, you know, take advantage in a serious way. And I guess as we look towards NC State here, you know, what does that ceiling look like for drones? And is this something that here in the tail end with two regular season games remaining and God willing a bowl? And then, of course, another season where we expect to see drones back in orange and maroon. What does that look like? Yeah, I don't think we've scratched the surface of what his ceiling really is yet. You know, he's... Drones is a good player. He's a good athlete. He runs well. He's got a very good arm uh, and he's very accurate. 
anything like about 15 yards and in, which is which is great for college football. You can win a ton of college football games that way. Um, I'd like to see him work more on his deep ball. Uh, I think that that's the next step for him, and I don't think we'll see that this season. I mean, he'll keep taking deep shots, but the consistency on that is going to take a lot of reps and a lot of work, um, and I think that's something you'll see as a main focus over the offseason for him. But, you know, from from where he is now, you know, I, I think that we are seeing him really come into his own and really be comfortable, which is which is important. Um, when Virginia Tech recruited him, they recruited him to be an RPO guy. That's 100% what they wanted him to be. They wanted him to carry the ball. They wanted him to be very accurate in short, you know, in short throws and in intermediate throws and be methodical. And that's what I think we're starting to see. You could go back and watch throughout the time he's he's played at Virginia Tech the last couple of games. Um, he's been running RPO, but it seems like more of them, maybe maybe a 60-40 split were predetermined versus real uh, reads. It felt like uh, against Boston College, he was actually reading. Um, and that's a huge step for him. Now, this weekend is going to be a big test for him because because NC State's defense is really good, um, uh, and and they have you know Pry has said it and everybody has mentioned it that's watched them play. You know uh, their linebacker Peyton Wilson is he's got to be the best in the business. He's he's really really talented football player. So that's going to be interesting to see how they out scheme him. But I think having a running back like Tootin and having the the power run game like drones and then having the arm talent that he started to really display and the accuracy he's displayed. He doesn't have to go out and throw the ball 45 times a game. He can throw the ball 17, 20 times and, uh, you know, be accurate and move the ball well and pick up the rest of the slack in the run game. So I don't think we're close to where his ceiling is going to be, um, but I think he's getting better every week and that's exactly what you want to see. Yeah, I agree with Evan. Like when I think a major point, a major takeaway this season has been the growth of Kyron Drones, and he's grown really fast. I mean, you think about it, he's been the starter for eight weeks now. He's won two ACC quarterback of the week performances, I think against, what was it, against Pittsburgh and now against Boston College. Like uh, early season, a lot of the plays were predetermined. He was kind of going with what bone was calling and i think we've seen like at least in the past five weeks maybe aside from florida state and louisville we've seen so many more wrinkles that they're comfortable with drones they're throwing more at him he's able to read defenses he's been really smart with the football he has two interceptions all year um you know he's kind of cleaned up putting the ball on the ground in terms of you know running the ball and i think like this was another case of a, a perfectly efficient performance from drones like he's putting up over 200 yards on 17 passing attempts like that's really tough to do and you know I don't expect him to be the type of quarterback that's throwing 70 percent you know completion percentage every game I think he's at like just shy of 60 for the season um, but this is an offense that requires this kind of split where you know, they were able to run 51 times against Boston College. And I think combined with all three quarterbacks, they threw 21 times. Like, you really want it to be like a 65-35 type of split between running and throwing. You're running with your guys, with Bashal Tootin, uh, with Malachi Thomas. 
uh, with Kyron Drones reading the defense off those guys and then using that to establish, you know, this RPO game where they're able to draw in defenses and, you know, they're either running the ball because it's successful setting up the run or they're able to utilize their wide receivers and, and really open up that passing game. I think that next step for Kyron Drones, as Evan was saying, I don't think he's particularly been good deep down the field this year. I think also it's, you know, it seems like Virginia Tech opens up the game like wanting to throw and we see like it doesn't quite put the offense in rhythm. It doesn't put drones in rhythm. It really takes a couple of drives where you're establishing the ground game to really open things up. And I think like their drones is definitely a capable passer. And I think there's still a bit more growth there that he needs to do. But I mean, you're again, like uh, 25% of his starts have been ACC player of the week. Like this guy is absolutely improving. And I think for the rest of the season, you're going to see this heavy type of workload in the ground game. Like it's a race to six wins these next few games are the biggest games of the season and, you know, seeing 20 plus carry performances and around, you know, 20 to 25 passing attempts, like he's going to have to be a workhorse. He's going to have to be smart. And I think he's showing that you can trust him. He's going to make the right decisions and he's going to work this offense to, to full efficiency. You know, we do our MVPs every week and uh, unanimous all around this time drones on the offensive side on the defensive side dorian strong just how good of a season is dorian strong having and i think many people may have noticed on twitter his counterpart in the defensive backfield monsoor delane hashtag first round or something along those lines so evan i know you're in the know do we got to be worried about uh dorian strong going this year to the NFL, and are the Hokies going to have a first-round pick for the first time in a couple of years? Uh, I'm going to th- I'm gonna address both of those in separate in separate manners. Um, do I think Dorian Strong is going to the NFL? I, I, I mean, I'm leaning yes, right? Like, his stock's not going to get better. He is who he is. He's shown everything that he can show, uh, and I think that he has you – know, the big question was – could he get over the injury that he had? You know, that's what I think last season was was uh, hampered, and and NFL scouts wanted to see if he could get over that. So, you know, now that he is back, we're talking about a guy. He's been targeted 24 times on the season. Teams aren't throwing his way. They're staying away from him. He's only given up seven receptions with two interceptions. He's not going to have a higher stock than he has right now if he finishes out the next two games. Now, this is this is not a new – this is not a new spiel for me because I say the same thing about APR. If APR finishes the season with a few more sacks, go pro because your stock's not going to get better. The chances of you replicating this in another year is, is slim. Go get paid, go get your money, go, go to the NFL. So I think Dorian, if he continues the track he's on for the next two games, throw in, you know, if he's playing this well and the team's playing like they are, I would expect Virginia Tech to win at least one of the next two, throw in maybe a bowl game. Uh, you know, and I, I think I think his stock is just high. Um, the question's gonna be is is if he does go, how high would he go? He is not a first round guy. Not to me. Um, 
maybe that changes with the combine, but no, not, not I don't think he's I don't think he's that I don't think he's a first round talent. What I think he is is a more polished Greg Stroman. So Greg Stroman stayed around in the league. He's gotten paid. He's played a lot of a lot of NFL games. Wasn't a high draft pick. That's what I see with Dorian. I think that there's going to be questions about his overall size. You know, he's he's maybe six foot. Wouldn't be surprised if he was a little smaller than that uh, at the combine. He's not a really heavy. He's quick. He is fast, but I don't know that he's super fast. He's not elite in in speed, strength, size. He's a good player. He's a good college football player. I don't want people to think he's not good. He's a good player. He could play in the NFL. I just don't think he's a first-round talent. There's a lot more that goes on in that in that world than going out and having two interceptions against a bad quarterback at Boston College. I think he's a good college football player, and I think he can have a good NFL career. Um, I would have him as a later-round pick. I think that that's just kind of where he fits, where he falls. We can keep this brief because obviously it's one of those we'll cross that bridge when we get to it situations. But imagine that both APR and Strong do go pro. Is there the talent in-house to fill those spots? Or are the Hokies going to have to look to the portal? I I mean, yeah, I think what we saw and what we've seen all year, like, cornerback room has been shallow you're playing your reserves are you're moving Derek canteen around the defensive backfield but you're really relying on two freshmen and dante lovett and braylon johnson to you know play spot reps and virginia tech has been fortunate there's been no significant injuries to monsoor delane or dorian strong and those are guys that you're going to roll out there and you know kind of play them for 99 percent of the game but I think like going into the season, like the coaching staff had a realistic expectation that, look, Dorian Strong could be going to the pros. Like we're going to need these younger guys to suit up in practice, avoid a red shirt straight away, even if they're playing eight snaps a game, soak as much information as they can from two of the best cornerbacks in the ACC. So in the event that something happens, if there's an injury, if there's whatever it is that you have these guys that you recruited, that you handpicked by Brent Pry to come in and be significant contributors. I think there's going to be obviously a learning curve. It would be great if you got another guy like Derek Canteen, a guy that can play multiple positions that, you know, if you don't feel as confident heading into next season, if Dorian Strong does indeed declare for the NFL draft, then you have someone else out there with experience that can fill in for a Dante Lovett. Um, again, like we saw a really good performance out of him against Boston College. He looks like a guy that's, you know, if there's a bigger bigger role available, he can fill that. I think Braylon Johnson, I haven't seen enough yet, um, but I think you feel good there on the defensive line. There's going to be a lot of change. Like you definitely need to go out and get defensive tackles. I think you feel great about APR and what he's produced this season. I think Keyshawn Burgos, like as much as we've heard from him in the preseason, he hasn't quite delivered to the level of expectation. Um, And then, you know, a guy like Cole Nelson, he's been there for a while. Is he, you know, he's kind of been 
a rotational piece and in, in, on the defensive line? Is he a guy that can step in? Do they feel comfortable with that? I think that's certainly a spot that maybe you evaluate maybe even closer than the quarterback room. Um, but overall, I, I would feel pretty good about those two freshmen, what they've been able to do this season, what they've learned uh, heading into next season. Um, I think APR, if he does go pro, obviously you're, you know, you're lucky if you can find a guy that's going to bring you double digit sacks out of the transfer portal. Like that just doesn't happen to everyone. Like he's one of the most productive transfer portal additions in the country. So you're definitely going to need to build depth there and, and hope that you can bring some guys along. Yeah. I think with, I I think if, if APR goes, you have to pull somebody from the portal. I, I think that you're going to have to pull somebody in there. You already already have to go after defensive tackles. I think you're going to have to pull a, an edge. At, at corner would be interesting because if Dorian leaves, your oldest corner would be Monsoor, who likely would leave after next season for the NFL. You know, he seems like a three-and-out guy. So I think you'd be smart to get a little more experience in the room. Um, maybe somebody a little bit older that could that could come in and help the young guys continue to grow, but also be kind of a transition piece to help. You know, when when Mansoor, you know, if he has a great year next year and decides to go pro, you, you don't want to rely on a room of Mansoor teaching, you know, six people underneath him how to play corner at a high level. Um, I think you would want a, an additional older body in that room. So. You know, it's going to be really interesting, uh, the whole portal dynamic. Um, and and Pry mentioned it. I think it's smart that he does this. I, I'm sure they do it at Penn State, too. But, you know, when he talked about senior day and if you have a chance to walk, walk, they'll have the conversation later. You know, if you're going to go to the draft, if you're going to transfer, if you're going to give up football and walk away, if you have a medical issue um, or what you need to work on to come back for next season. So they're going to do all of that in about a four-day window after the UVA game. So I think that right now, you know, you, you have to you have to kind of evaluate the landscape of the program and say O-line, D-line have to be the top priority out of the portal. And then if you can get a linebacker, get a safety, because you got to replace Nazir Peoples and you have uh, – um, Jalen Stroman's getting older, so he's he's got limited eligibility left after the season. And then after them, you know, there was there's the chasm that we've seen this year. So, you know, I think that they'd be smart to go after safety, a corner, and then maybe you look at best available. So, the 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 portal time is always a fun time to pay attention and see what's going on. So, I think you would replace both of those guys out of the portal if you could. Here's something I've been kind of thinking about recently. Uh, we all know that like following the Marshall game and. Obviously, the results of last season played into that in a significant way. But fans were calling for Tyler Bowen's head. Since that pit game, when things really turned around, when they scored 38, which was a is a record for the prior regime at the time, they've since scored 30, 38, 48. So a total of 146 points scored in four ACC wins. We've talked enough about that, though. Only 66 points allowed. Have we seen Chris Marv develop this season as a coordinator in the same way that we've seen Tyler Bowen take those steps forward? 
Do you think more credit is due there? I do think there's more credit due to the defense. I do think it is a product of, you know, you think about these four wins and the quality of opponent and, you know, they're not the best. I think two of those teams, like Wake Forest is still trying to figure out their quarterback situation. The quarterback of Pittsburgh that played against Virginia Tech is not even a tight end. He transferred to, he transitioned to tight end. And now I don't even know if he's on the team or not. Like there's been a few factors against the defense. I think we have still seen against better competition that, you know, if you have a, if the opposition has a capable running back or running game, like Virginia Tech is still getting gashed by better teams. So I still think it's a work in progress there. I think for the offense, you know, as much good as they've done against in their four wins against like Boston College was by far the most dominant uh, offensive performance of the year. And it came against actually, I didn't think it was that bad of a defense. Like I thought this was, you could take a lot of lessons from this performance. Um, I, I think like overall, like the Louisville game kind of sits in your mind and you're like, mm, could have done some better things there. But I think so far this season, if you're comparing the two, like Tyler Bowen has done a great, I think he's won coordinator of the week twice as well. Um, he's he's done a great job in terms of like saving his reputation um progressing this offense showing the growth i think defensively like there has been a lot of good things from the defensive backfield from the defensive line i think linebacker play safety play like those are the areas that i would like to see more improvement like i still think we kind of fall into old patterns there and and see some of those mistakes pop up time and time again so i definitely think he deserves a lot of credit marv for the performances that this virginia tech defense has been able to accomplish against some of these opponents especially in their wins but i still think there is more growth there to be done yeah i mean i think uh what what's interesting what's always interesting is when when things go bad on offense your your risks are kind of mitigated a little bit yeah you could throw a pick six you could have a fumble recovered for a touchdown or things like that but typically when things go bad on offense it's a three and out or um, you know you're going to punt the ball away when things go bad on defense they tend to go really bad Um, so I think that's where you people have seen kind of you know you look at the who who you lay the blame on sometimes you know like the Marshall game you could say well the offense didn't do what they were supposed to do the offense had plenty of chances to win they didn't win the game then you look at you know, Rutgers and and Louisville. And it's like, they had, you know, they were, they were doing whatever they wanted to kind of at will against the defense. So, you know, I think that, I think that we've seen growth from both Bowen and Marv Um, for Marv, the the crazy thing, the craziest thing for me with Virginia Tech's defense, and it's driven me crazy all year is you have a lot of high level linebacker coaches slash former players in that building. You have Brent Pry, who's coached at the highest levels uh, at the linebacker. You got Chris Marv, who played it, coached it um, at the Power 5 level. You have Jan Johnson, who played it at the Power 5 level. You have a DB. You have Guvea Winslow. You got Sean Quinn. You have all these guys with all of this experience at linebacker. And that, to me, is the most inconsistent position on the defense. 
You know, I think safety play has been inconsistent, but I think that part of that is newness to the position of Jalen Jones. I think you could highlight him and say a lot of stuff. He's been thrust into a position he's probably not ready for. Uh, and, and that wasn't great. Linebacker play, though, I mean, you've got guys like Alan Tisdale that's played linebacker at Virginia Tech since I was like 12, it feels like. And he's blowing assignments or taking the wrong gaps. Um, you know, you got you got uh, Keller who has shown at times he's going to be super dynamic and looks like the prototypical Mike that you want. And he seems to have these laps in judgment and takes the wrong angles and, and attacks the wrong gaps. And what, what we see is, you know, in a defense that Virginia Tech runs very similar to Bud Foster, the D line, the overall the overall scheme of the defense is for the D line to funnel the runner uh, to the open hat. And when the open hat is nowhere to be found, that runner's off to the races. And we have found that time and time again. So I'm, I'm perplexed at what is wrong with the linebacker uh, position and what's been going on there. That to me is the biggest question mark going into the off season. I know obviously replacing the D lineman is, is huge, but that's more of a recruiting and portal thing. Schematically, how are they going to improve linebacker play? Just one more thing on the coaching staff here before we get into NC State. Right now today, Virginia Tech has five wins. They could finish with seven wins in the regular season. They could finish with six. Of course, they could finish with five. Let's assume the worst possible case scenario, which for the record here, I do not think will happen. No matter what, is every major position on the coaching staff so? your position coaches, coordinators. You you could go as far as high-importance roles like strength coach and stuff like that. Is everyone safe? Will everyone be at Virginia Tech next season if they want to? Or are there still members of the staff that have something to prove to save their job over the course of the next two football games? I think when you look at the staff, I know it's funny when we – looked at this i think we spoke on this podcast post marshall and we were just saying like (laughs) i the probability of tyler bowen and chris marv isn't looking too hot at that point um that's why you play the game right like they're at five and five now i think the overall question and it's subjective but has this team improved enough to see what another season would do and i think the answer would be resoundingly yes i think especially on the offensive side, like the new guys you brought in, obviously you want to see more out of the offensive line. I think that's a position group where it takes a couple of years to get your guys to instill your coaching. Plus you've had two coaches in the last two years. I think, you know, you like what you see out of the running back room, the wide receiver room with Fontel Mines. I think he's done a good job there, especially as a recruiter. Um, And then Tyler Bowen has obviously turned this thing around offensively. He's producing points. Uh, And, you know, it seems like Kyron Drones has become the face of Virginia Tech and he is developing every single week. Defensively, I think you've you've seen enough out of, you know, J.C. Price's group. I think, you know, he definitely has a huge, you know, offseason bucket list to kind of fulfill. He's got a lot of guys he has to replace and he has to make sure that you're building off the performances of this year. I think Evan touched on it great like 
the linebacker room you kind of look at, but that's Chris Marv, that's Sean Quinn. Um, I think, you know, they have to figure out that dynamic, but both coaches deserve to stay, obviously. Um, and then, you know, the defensive backfield has been good as well. So I would say, like, in total, I feel good about everyone. Like, even special teams you feel pretty good about. Um, I think, you know, again, the overall overarching question is, do you feel good about the progress from year one to year two to see what it looks like in year three? And I think, like, continuing with this staff, it's worth it to see. Um, obviously, you know, there's a ton of things out of control. I think that's what you're kind of pointing at, like, if all the coaches want to stay. Um, I think, you know, in a perfect world where there's not other schools poaching and, you know, the coaching carousel is about to go wild right now, but I would say you keep everyone on staff. Yeah, the most the most uh, common one coaching change that I see mentioned uh, on the message boards or on social media or anything like that would be um, and it, and and schematically it could make sense. So I'll throw that out there. I don't believe it will happen, but schematically it could make sense. Would be if somehow because the safety play was has been so down, you replace Pearson with Cheetah coaching the whole secondary to bring in another recruiter to to work with the DNs or the D tackles and split the role with JC Price. Schematically, I could see that puts another dynamic recruiter uh, potentially on the staff. And I don't think that's a terrible thing to do, but I also don't think it's going to happen. I think right now, when you look at the safety group, like I said earlier, you know, you go into the season with Jalen Stroman as a, as a junior and Nazir Peoples as, you know, a sixth year guy, um, kind of like the cornerback room, you're kind of playing with fire. If something happens, what do you do? How do you replace them? Well, corner that hasn't had to really come up, but at safety, it absolutely has. So you get Jalen Stroman getting tossed for a few games for targeting, getting injured. You had, uh, Nazir Peoples going out with a with a knee injury early in the season. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a converted wide receiver. You're looking at possibly moving your one of your star corners uh, uh, back to safety with Monsoor, or you're looking at, you know, freshman with with Mose Phillips. So I think anybody could look at that and say that was kind of dealt some a bad hand and we need to see how players develop. Now that you see Nazir Peoples is back, safety play started to play a little bit better. They rotated a little bit more out of Jalen Jones to Derek Canteen last week and, you know, a couple other guys. Most Phillips got some reps um, back in that in that uh, in that safety room. I think you could chalk some of that up to bad things happened and players not being ready to play and roster, uh, you know, the roster outlook and roster turnover. Um, and that falls a lot on Pry as well, getting that roster where it needs to be. Uh, we said that wasn't a one-year thing. That was going to be a multi-year thing. If they can't bring in an influx of some talent in the safety room, get somebody ready to play to replace Nazir Peoples and bring up and develop the guys that are in the back, back behind them, then I, think, uh, then I think you could possibly make a move there. But I don't think it comes this offseason. I think we've seen enough and there's been enough growth and development. Um, and then you can, you can chalk some of that up to some badness that just happened, some bad injuries, some untimely events that were out of your control. 
I don't think right now we're going to see any changes forced. Um, I've been wrong before. We got two more games. We'll see what happens. But I don't know that there's going to be any forced changes this offseason from Virginia Tech. So let's look ahead to NC State here. In the game that I think is the game been most anxious for all season, right? You're coming off a big win, bowl eligibility on the line. Best win you'd have if you got it. All of that coming at home in the final home game of the season. NC State's kind of a, a mixed bag, right? They sit at seven and three. Only seven and three team, not ranked by the committee. Wins over Clemson, Miami, uh, close loss against Louisville, but also, uh, you know, a dud against Duke. What do we make of this NC State team, especially now that they turned the quarterback position back over to Brennan Armstrong because N.J. Morris is redshirting? Air quotes there. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's if it's just the history of seeing Brennan Armstrong over the past couple of years, but MJ Morris to me was more frightening. I would say to to uh, to defend. You know, looking at this game from the angle of Virginia Tech needs to win it to to clinch bowl uh, eligibility going into UVA. So. With MJ Morris out, I mean, this offense has been a very mixed bag. Brennan Armstrong has not been good. I don't know. There's no way to really sugarcoat it. He has not been good at NC State. Um, you know, they've had running backs that have opted out as well. Their offense seems to revolve around one true freshman who is very dynamic. Kind of reminds me a little bit of an early Zay Flowers um, at Boston College. So, you know, I think that that's going to be – uh, that's going to be the bread and butter of their offense is trying to get to him and then Armstrong on designed quarterback runs. If Virginia Tech can find ways to get to Armstrong, which I feel like they will, I think that they're going to, uh, I think they're going to come out with a win in the, in the game. I think that, you know, Doug, even though he suspiciously isn't here tonight to talk about this, he said this is a race to 24 in his, in his game preview. Um, and I think in that case, I, I feel good about Virginia Tech's chances. They've shown on offense that they can score and they can move the ball. Now, NC State's a good defense, um, but I don't know that they're going to blank Virginia Tech, especially at home, senior night, a lot of emotions. Um, I think that, you know, sold-out crowd, you know, I think, I think all that plays into Virginia Tech's favor there. Uh, and I think Virginia Tech comes out with the win. I, I think – NC State is, you know, they, they're, they're kind of a, a two-trick pony right now. You know, you got the, the Concepcion kid, and you got Brennan Armstrong running designed QB draws. Um, so I think that that's going to be something that Virginia Tech will try to eliminate Armstrong from using his legs, make them very one-dimensional. Uh, and then you have the opportunity. I mean, he's going to be throwing against Dorian Strong and and Monsoor Delane, make yourself uh, give yourself some opportunities for some turnovers there. Race to twenty-four, potentially a bad omen for Virginia Tech. Just a weird stat, but Virginia Tech hasn't finished again scoring in the twenties all year. Obviously, you have your low point of three points against Louisville, 
17 three times all in losses as well as 16 against Rutgers. And then in all the wins, 30 or more points with the college being a finish in the 40s. So truly Jekyll and Hyde either can't get to 20 or passing 30. Yeah, it's it's simple math. Uh, I, I told I told Paul this in the press box, you know, weeks, weeks ago um, that if Virginia Tech scores more than 17, they're going to win. It's simple math. In this year, it, it makes sense. Score more than 17 and win. I just want to throw out a quick note, too, just about Brennan Armstrong. Um, obviously, the former UVA quarterback. Um, it's just crazy to see, like, his development. And I know, like, it's not just Brennan Armstrong. And I know he, he came to NC State to be with Robert and I, who was the offensive coordinator during his 4,000-yard, 30-plus touchdown season at UVA. But, like... This season, it's just I, he was benched after the Louisville game for MJ Morris, who, as Andrew pointed out, uh, suspiciously disappeared just like Doug uh, with a red shirt. Maybe and they're in the same place. They could be. Maybe they're <laughs> they're they're both looking at the transfer portal right now. Doug's red Doug shirt has a, for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, but when you look at like Brennan Armstrong, you think of like my impression of him for his entire career was this you know pro style quarterback big arm can you know really just make the offense flourish especially in the passing game but if you look at his stats at nc state like he's running like pretty much 35 percent of the time and more recently against wake forest like he had 15 carries and 17 passing attempts like this is a guy that they are going to try to run and not expose in the passing game because of how badly he's regressed as a passer. Not only that, but the talent, as Evan mentioned, like they really have one wide receiver that, you know, he compared to Zay Flowers, maybe, you know, shades of Trey Turner. He's a guy that can, you know, take some end arounds. Like they're going to involve him in the running game as well. He's kind of the do it all true freshman for them. Um, They don't have a lot of options on offense in the, in the running back room. Like, Brennan Armstrong is leading their their rushing stats, their rushing attempts by a very healthy margin. He has 96 carries on the season. The next leading rusher is a running back with 52. Like this, he will run a lot, and that's something that Virginia Tech's defense has to look out for. But like NC State's goal is definitely to get to 24 points. Like if they can get to 24 points, their defense is that good that they're holding most teams that they've played this season under 20 points. I know there was that one weird wild shootout with Marshall where they gave it 41, but this is a an elite defense and a really below, <laughs> maybe even bad offense. So it's a, it's a really interesting matchup. I don't think we've seen this dynamic out of any other team on the schedule so far. Yeah, NC State has allowed 24 points three times 45 to Notre Dame like you mentioned the weird one against Marshall and then 24 points was more than Duke needed as Duke's defense held the Wolfpack to three points uh but yeah gosh you got me nervous now you know I feel like come December I'm going to be scrolling the internet Husker 247 welcomes Doug Bowman known for his in-depth game previews He's not leaving us. Evan, Evan, you know, I, Evan does well. He, he will, 
He needs the game previews for VT Scoop. Doug, think about all that beard oil he uses. Like, he's not going anywhere. You can only get that from Evan. Yeah, true. Doug, Doug is the beard of VT Scoop. Like, he's the face of VT Scoop, so. Yes, it's certainly new because no one outside the organization has any idea what Evan looks like. And that's for a reason. But. <laughs> Live in the shadows. Hey, you know what? In your position, in your lot in the world as message board prairie admin having a little wizard of oz thing going not the worst thing in the world side note here with brendan armstrong because it just makes me think how things can change right i remember on the other podcast i do hokey hangover promotion subscribe to it we had a debate though a few years back maybe 2020 season who was the better quarterback, Hooker or Armstrong? And I think we all agreed on Hooker. But at the time, like, there was a case to be made on the other side. In the time since, Hooker went on and damn near won the Heisman at Tennessee. And Armstrong has gone from, I mean, I think going into 21, you probably talked about him as a top three, four quarterback in the conference. Now he's like bottom of the barrel getting benched for a team that can't find offense with or without him. So, yeah, and, you know, he had that reuniting with the offensive coordinator. So just peculiar, kind of the same thing that we said about Phil Dracovic. Has there been been another – I mean, I guess Phil Dracovic is a good example, but, like, there's not many that you look at that are, like, true transfer portal failure stories. And, like, he – transferred from i mean he was armstrong was kind of the guy i mean he was that was he was him at uva and then you transfer to nc state fast forward a few weeks and you're benched there i mean it's not jerkovic where you don't even know if he's still even on the roster but i mean that was that one was interesting it's interesting the fall from grace he's had yeah i mean on paper right mendenhall leaves so too does pretty much all the talent on UVA's roster. If you're Armstrong, you're going down to NC to position yourself with, you know, going into last year or going into whatever, a much more talented surrounding cast. And he flops and they bring in the coordinator and he flops and it's just, it's all around been, you know, quite frankly, a disaster. But hopefully we're not, jinxing the heck out of it it's a return to 2020 or what have you at lane stadium uh you know come saturday afternoon uh any overall thoughts you know major keys to the game uh for virginia tech i know we talked about containing armstrong as one of them especially on the ground uh offensively does virginia tech just need to stick to the script yeah, I think they need to get to the edges a lot. Um, I mean, Peyton is going to be – he's going to be all over the field. Um, the more pre-snap shifts that they can do, the more that they can try to get him out of position, the better they're going to be. I mean, he's – he is I – mean, Virginia Tech recruited him very heavily. He was a top priority for them when he chose NC State, and and it was – he was the prototypical linebacker of the future. He's lived up to it. He, he's a very, very talented football player. Um, and you have to find a way to take him out of the play. So 
I expect was it a couple weeks ago? I think it was the Jalen Lane was in motion like 90% of the offensive snaps. I think we're going to see stuff like that again. They have to do a lot of motion. They have to go off balance. They have to get him looking in the wrong direction and get keep him guessing on what's going to happen. Because if he keys in, he can dominate the entire game from one position. Yeah, I think overall it's just it's trying to make something against a team that really doesn't allow a ton of rushing yards. I think, like Evan was saying, like they play a three-three-five. That's their base D. We saw it against Syracuse. Like there are opportunities there. I think they're, you know, the two defenses are drastically different. Like as I said before, I I truly do think this is an elite defense. I it's funny when you look at the total defensive metrics. Like, like NC State is like twenty-first in the country, and I think Virginia Tech is twenty-second. Um, but this is a game where like drones is really going to have to like make the right reads. And as Evan said, get to the edges guys like Bashal too. And he's going to have to break tackles. Like this is a really good tackling defense. Like they're going to need to make plays and, and really make the right decisions on offense. I don't think it's a game where Virginia tech gets in the thirties. Like this is, you have to be smart with possessions. You have to control the time of possession. Like, I guess, you know, the confidence you have is that NC State isn't going to run over you. Like, they're not scoring 30-plus points against this Virginia Tech defense. At least that's the way that I feel. Um, I just think it's going to be really tough. I think there's going to be a lot of three and outs for Virginia Tech's offense, and I think it's going to be hard to kind of sustain those grooves that they've been in against teams like Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Syracuse, and, you know, last week against Boston College. So seeing how Virginia Tech offensively is able to kind of adapt to that adversity that, you know, it's not smooth sailing all the time. You can't just pour it on this type of defense. Um, It's going to take those guys like drones, like Tootin, to make those big plays, to keep the chains rolling and, uh, you know, again, like you're going to have to play like you did last week in the red zone. Like you're really going to have to convert opportunities. That first drive that, you know, we talked about 40 minutes ago where Virginia Tech had to settle for a field goal after picking off um, Castellanos on the first play of the game. Like those are the types of drives that you need to result in seven points. Uh, and if you can put enough pressure and, and you know, go up by – 10 points in this game against the NC State offense, you're feeling pretty good. Um, but I just think it's like the individual players will need to make plays because uh, I think it's going to be rough and inconsistent. Um, so, yeah. What about the drive when you jog past the entire defense going 60 yards to fumble at the two and out of the back of the end zone? I was wondering if we were going to, if we were going to bring this up in this podcast. <sighs> 50 burger was right there. I was tweeting it out. I was tweeting out the 50-burger. Grant Wells saw it. And, you know, maybe that's... We we knew he was injured. And, like, he went from maybe 18 miles per hour to 5 miles per hour in, like, a split second. Like, he, ju- he his tank just emptied. It, was, he, it wasn't not the same ending it had, but it, it gave me the feeling. It, it threw a flashback. Remember when... Sam Rogers outran the entire UVA defense running like a four nine that it was, it was, it was glorious. You know, he was like a, like a bumbling gazelle out there 
outrunning everyone. And then Grant Wells does the same thing, jogging gingerly down the sideline to fumble at the two. Bumbling gazelle. Yep. I don't know if those two words have ever been, you know, linked together. But it sounds like a name for a high school indie rock band or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, for the record, and people are going to hate on this, leave Grant Wells alone. I, come on, how embarrassing is that? That's likely going to be his last play at Tech. Certainly his last shot at a big moment, barring catastrophic Kyron Drones injury. I'll say this. I hope his last play, if it plays out the way it does, and Virginia Tech is like, this is looking beyond this week, which maybe is, is bad, but I can hypothesize and say that if Virginia Tech beats Virginia and they're in victory formation, give Grant Wells the ability to go out there and go in victory formation because he can't go out like that. Like that would be a terrible way to go out. You know, the only thing in my opinion, that's more embarrassing than him fumbling at the two is traveling the world to see John Mayer in concert. So shots fired. I'll take it. Greatest living guitarist. All right. Game predictions. Chase this. You do the honors. I don't think you guys are going to like this one. I mean, I've been looking early research, going off gut feel, looking at the stats, looking at everything. And I think that it's going to be really rough for Virginia Tech's offense. I think, although I'm not, like, I really dislike this NC State offense, but I think they are a really, really good team. I think outside of Louisville and Florida State, this is probably the number three team on Virginia Tech's schedule this year. And I think they come away with the win, unfortunately, in the final game. I think it's going to be like a 23-17 to 17 type of game. Well, Matei won't be here next week, so, you know, he'll he's going to take his red shirt after <laughs> this one. Um, I'm going the opposite way. I think Virginia Tech wins. I'm going to go 21-17. Kyron Jerome's Gets it done in in Blacksburg again. I mean, it's it's hard to go against that, right? Kyron Drones at home in games that he started. Just absolute money. Uh, I'm teetering back and forth. I'm not going to lie. Kyron Drones doesn't turn the ball over, though, and Brendan Armstrong does. I think this time it's Monsoor Delane's turn. Come up with the big turnover. Set Virginia Tech up with a short field. And the Hokies come away in a close one. Doug Bowman says it's a race to 24. Hokies just get there. 24-17. All right. Workers can assume that Doug picks the Hokies to win, lose. I don't know. You got to read the uh, communal game preview article that Matei is going to post on vtscoop.com. I'm what I assume to be Friday. Friday. Because it always is. I submitted MVPs without the tape even having to ask me this week. How about that? I know. How about glorious. that? We I have to ask Evan. Always have to ask me. I, I got too much going on. He always says after lunch with everything, and it's always like 9 p.m. 
That's after lunch. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Nothing technically wrong about that statement. That's true. Um, there's just news and notes here. Nebraska with the opportunity to cl- clinch bowl eligibility for the first time in, I believe, six years does not get it done. They lose at home to Mike Loxley in Maryland. They have another opportunity to do it this week against me and Mate's Wisconsin Badgers. It'll be an interesting one. They don't get this one. Comes down to Iowa. Did it, I saw something with Iowa? I don't know if it was Nebraska or it might have been last week, but they just Iowa just set the record. Oh no, it was against Rutgers, and I think the under actually hit, or no, it was the over. The under or the over under for that game was a new record for college football at twenty one and a half. Iowa won twenty two to zero. Insane. Vegas knows. Just uh, another fun thing to watch, and I don't have the actual number in front of me, but the stipulation for the offensive coordinator to keep his job at Iowa, and they're nowhere close. It's like a total average points, and yet they're a two-loss team. So imagine if they could score. They'd be better than Michigan. Uh, Disappointing for some uh, you know, this is being recorded on Wednesday night. This was last night. This kept me up. Scott Leffler with an opportunity to shock the world. But unfortunately, Toledo comes storming back. A one-point victory. Lefty did cover, though. Lefty did cover. His job at Bowling Green should be safe. Can't say that for a lot of coaches, Jimbo Fisher, and now looking like Chip Kelly out of a job. Gentlemen, who is the next head coach of Texas A&M? Is it Mike Elko? Probably. I'm going Elko. I wanted to say Lanning. I know he already said I'm not going anywhere. Um, How about uh, Jamie Chadwell, though, saying that he was coming to a Wednesday uh, press appearance, and he left his Twitter location on? And it was in Starkville, Mississippi. Like, that's a tough look. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you get the intern to act on your behalf on Twitter so they know those types of things. Like, Starkville, Mississippi, there's one thing to do there, and that's Mississippi. Nothing else you could be doing. (laughs) There's truly nothing else you could be doing. (laughs) Stark Vegas. Also, one other note. On, I know we're in our tangent phase, and I'd love to see the retention of our listenership here, but the fighting Jerry Kills, 8-3 and three on the season, playing Auburn this weekend. Ooh, Jerry Kill. Alert. Get him, Jerry Kill. I think they could do it. Fortunately, folks, recording software cut the end of the podcast. Off. Enjoy the game, though. As always, Hokey. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.